Women always blaming their problems on dick. Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. I'm your host, Katie, and today we are talking about Lisa Montgomery. And where'd you do your research on this one, Katie? The books for this one were Baby Be Mine by Diane Fanning and Murder in the Heartland by M. William Phelps. And uh, technically, where is the Heartland? This is in Skidmore. We're starting off in many different places, though. Where is where? So we end up in Skidmore. Skidmore, Missouri. Oh, okay. Very very small town. Skidmore, Missouri. They should try to skid less. Why don't you go ahead and start us off on this one, Katie? Lisa Montgomery, born Lisa Marie Hedberg, was born on February 27, 1968. Her mother, Judy, raised both Lisa and her half-sister mostly alone, as their father, John, was in the Army and stationed in Korea. Only a few months after Lisa was born, John wrote Judy a letter that led to her asking for a divorce and moving from Washington to her hometown, Manhattan, Kansas. Not New York? Not New York, Kansas. What was in the letter that caused her to want a divorce, like... Was he just telling her he was banging a bunch of Korean prostitutes or? Probably. She never actually said, I don't think, what was in the letter. Okay. Seems like it would have had to be something pretty gnarly. Seems kind of like a strange thing to just send a letter that would cause you to get a divorce from like 3,000 miles away. He'd also not really been around for their entire marriage, so she wasn't, didn't really feel all that connected to him, I don't think, because he had been in the army the whole time. So he basically knocked her up and then got shipped out, and they never saw each other. They tried working it out once John arrived back in the States, but after some arguing and possible violence, the divorce was finalized in 1971, and Lisa would never see her father again. She began telling people that he died in Vietnam, possibly because Judy told her that, and possibly because she loved lying. Did she know what, what where he was? I think she knew that he was just gone and not dead, but... I don't know for sure. She was a very good liar and lied about pretty much everything she possibly could. Anything that came out of her mouth was usually not the truth. Ah, compulsive? Mm-hmm. In 1972, Judy began dating and quickly married another man, who I'm going to call Dick because each source I've seen used a different Sweden- pseudonym for him. Pseudonym? <laughs> so what did- pseudonym. Pseudonym. <laughs> He had some nice blue shoes. <laughs> so he, he, we're going to call him Dick because he was a nice guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I chose this. Dick had a serious drinking problem, and with his alcohol use came violence. Judy stuck around for a while, moving to different states before settling in a small mobile home in Oklahoma. By this point, Lisa was almost 16 and had witnessed her mother being abused for 13 years, basically her entire life. This, of course, will cause serious problems, and they were very evident in Lisa. She was described as having two personalities, one very sweet, the other extremely volatile. She'd flip between them at a moment's notice, which sounds to me like her behavior was picked up from watching Dick for 13 years. Except she wasn't fueled by booze. No, but I mean, when you watch someone, basically your father, flip on a switch like that, that's how you're going to act. She also blamed Lisa's behavior on Judy, claiming that she neglected the children and that there was absolutely no love anywhere to be found in their household. Judy learned another cause for Lisa's behavior on February 24, 1984, when she walked into Lisa's room and found Dick raping her. Apparently, this had been going on for years, and Judy had never noticed. 
I saw some reports of people close to the family saying that they wholeheartedly believed that Judy knew Dick was raping Lisa as they lived in a very small mobile home and it would be difficult to not notice something like that. Yeah, no kidding. How would you how would you ever try to say like, oh, I didn't know. Like, did you have a sandbox in the house that you kept your head in? Like, how the fuck? Yeah, apparently she woke up one night and heard like something rattling like jars rattling and so she got up and went and looked around and walked into the bedroom to find him on top of Lisa. Dick threatened Judy with death if she were to tell anyone and move to Texas. Now she was alone in a mobile home with five children and no income. Or well it's hard to say like if she knew or not because also though like you would think like why all of a sudden would it become a problem if she knew all along? It's a good question. I'm not sure. I think it it could have possibly been between Judy and Dick and had nothing to do with him raping Lisa and she just used that as an excuse to make him leave officially for good with the threat of police action which she never went and did. So she just got sick of Dick. Yeah. Judy went to the local police chief Richard and asked for help and protection but never mentioned pressing charges against Dick for the years of abuse Lisa suffered. They began a relationship, and Judy was married for the third time in 1986. Wait, she married the ch- police chief? Uh-huh. Also named Dick? Technically, yes. <laughs> but he went by Richard. Well. When Lisa was 16, she met her stepfather's son, Carl, for the first time after he returned home from the Navy. He wasn't interested at first, and he literally said that Lisa was ugly at that time, but... By the time she was 17, they both grew interested in each other. So he was quoted in the book, and he was like, I thought she was ugly, and I wasn't interested. But then she turned 17, and I was like, (laughs) that's not how relationships should start. I feel like he just happened to get an episode of Penthouse or something, and he was like, oh, you can fuck your stepsisters. All right, cool. Sometimes love blossoms just the way it does, Katie. And but you shouldn't, like, outwardly come out and be like, yeah, I thought she was fucking hideous before we started dating. Maybe she's not attractive in that sense, and she has a good personality. <laughs> Maybe She, she, she has <laughs> neither of those things. She's not attractive, <laughs> nor does she have a good personality. I don't know, but it was just strange. All of this whole thing was just strange. Carl waited for Lisa to graduate high school before they moved into his apartment together not long after her 18th birthday. Lisa was extremely intelligent, but really had no interest in going to college. She told Carl her purpose in life was to have his children, but he didn't want to rush into things and said that she should find a job before they go down that road. Lisa went in for a physical, thinking she might join the Air Force, and was told they couldn't accept her because she was pregnant. They got married and moved to Cleveland, Oklahoma, to prepare for the birth of their first child. All these people just like to go to cities that are named after big cities that are just little cities. Yeah, it's really strange. What did Judy think about this? I mean, she was fine with it. They're not related. Yeah, but it's just like, you know, it's it's like a like a bad Adam Sandler movie. It's, it's not like, like it's never happened before. Oh, I I thought that literally only happened in porn. No. She kind of became her own aunt. Aunt Lisa? I don't yes. I think it's that weird. You don't? They're not related. Just because you're matter. related by marriage doesn't mean anything. Huh. Still a little weird. 
Just because sister is because, involved? Cause no, the word because sister? your parents are boning. And then okay. now you're going to be like, ooh, bone must. We're going to keep it all in the family. Yeah. How are you going to branch out your family tree? The family tree still comes to one spot I don't, right there. I don't think, I don't think they're... Uh, I don't think her parents are going to have any more kids. I hope that we don't have any listeners that are married to their step-siblings. I guess it's less weird if it's step-sibling. They're not related in any way, shape, or form. If they had started dating before their parents got married, if their parents had never gotten married, it's the same exact relationship between the same two people. Yeah, but... The, it's the same the, thing. There's the no difference. The part that makes it weird is that their parents are married. Why? Why does that make it weird? Because it is. Yeah, it's but weird. But, like, why? Family What's reunions, the reason? Family reunions are so, going to be so weird. Who has family reunions? I mean, people in the 90s. Yeah, and can you imagine when you're standing there and you're watching your cousin making out with who you thought was your other cousin, and then you're just, like, confused by the whole situation? When their daughter was born, Lisa was the perfect mother. She cooked, cleaned, and constantly doted on the baby, making sure every single need was met. Carl had a good job allowing her to be a stay-at-home mother. Then, as the child got older, Lisa began to lose interest. The cycle would repeat over the next four years as she and Carl had three more children, two daughters and a son. So what was the cutoff point for her when she stopped caring? I'm not sure. I, It didn't, like, ever specify, really, but she would go through this whole cycle of loving the baby, and then she would kind of go, oh, this is a lot of work. I don't really want to do this anymore. And then she would get pregnant again and get all the attention you get when you're pregnant. And she would relish in that, basically, and then do it on the baby because the baby's really cute when they're that tiny. And then go, oh, this is actually harder now with two of them. Most people just do that with puppies. A lot of people do it with babies, too. Huh. Babies get you a lot of attention. Their last daughter born was very premature and led to some medical complications. Doctors did everything they could to prevent Lisa from giving birth. But when that was not working, they gave her steroids to speed up the development of the baby to ensure its chances of survival. Because of this, Lisa had some swelling in her organs, especially her uterus. I guarantee her uterus, that baby's getting all swollen there. <laughs> baby's just pumping iron. <laughs> the only way to fix things was tubal ligation, more commonly referred to as having your tubes tied. Normally, the surgery is literally that. They tie the fallopian tubes off to prevent pregnancy. Sometimes the surgery isn't successful and women can become pregnant again. With Lisa, because the swelling was so severe, they had to actually cut and cauterize the fallopian tubes, meaning there was absolutely no chance of accidental reversal and her becoming pregnant ever again. This is very important to keep in mind for the rest of the story. With her fallopian tubes being cauterized, that stops the egg from traveling through them to be embedded into the uterine wall. Mm -hmm. Why does Rory get down to specifics any chance he gets on? So, well, because I was I was getting to my question here. So, does this stop you from having a period, or do they the eggs just die and reabsorb in there? It does not affect your menstrual cycle, no. Now that Lisa had no chance of any more children, she lost all interest in her four children. She was still a stay-at-home mom, but only did the stay-at-home part. 
She didn't clean or cook, leaving both jobs to Carl when he returned home from long hours at work. The children were left to fend for themselves during the day while Lisa lounged on the couch, reading, or surfed the 1990s internet, which I can't imagine could keep you, like, truly entertained for very long. You it, would be surprised. But yeah. for hours, no. every day? Yeah. It literally took 45 minutes to download a picture of face, fake Jessica Simpson's tits. So, I doubt I she was doing any of that, so I'm sure there was more way, stuff she had to find. I, I would just go sit in chat rooms sometimes for hours until I could get myself kicked out. You were on like AIM? Yeah. AOLs? Yeah, but AIM. it was like, these were like random chat rooms. This was like, Roy was literally trying to get pedophiled. Dude, <laughs> you would be surprised how easy it is for a uh, yeah. 10 year old ginger boy to get pedophiled. Yeah, they literally would be like, age, sex, location, and then all Are of a you sudden, like on Omegle in the 90s? That's been around forever. I know, but you just have people strictly asking These you were, okay, that so to you, start right, out. So when we got CompuServe for the internet, there were uh, CompuServe approved chat rooms that you could go into under different topics. Some of those topics would be like cars or video games or Diablo 2 help and things are Diablo 1 help even. Yeah, like favorite movies, lists of good horror movies. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. So you would go and you'd click on the category and there would be chat rooms that could fill up with up to 15 people. And so you'd go and you'd hop in one of those. And as soon as you got in there, someone would be like, hey, Booger Balls 92, <laughs> ASL. And you'd be like, oh, I am 14 male or, you know, 10 male <laughs> live in Utah, and they'd be like, hi, I'm from Utah, 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 and you get all these weird messages about people in Utah or people that, you know, wanted to get to know you better, and you could private chat or you could go on continue on with the conversation. Hey, booger boy 87 or whatever you How many people was. didn't show up when you invited them to hang out? All of them? In chat rooms? No, in real in life. In real life. IRL. <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. Wow, that was mean, Katie. <laughs> no, I'm saying because you were a child and people... Well, they never saw you out. and then backed out because <laughs> they were like, oh, shit, I'm actually going to go through with it. Things got even worse when Lisa started drinking and meeting other men. Oftentimes, she would just up and disappear for days at a time, leaving her four kids to take care of each other until Carl came home. According to Baby Be Mine, one time she actually showed up at a family reunion with another man. What did Carl say? Probably something like, I want a divorce, what the fuck? In 1991, Carl called it quits and tried splitting up. Because of the kids, he and Lisa kept getting back together, moving around the country, then splitting up again. In 1993, Carl finally called it quits and filed for divorce. In a desperate attempt to keep him around, Lisa told him she was pregnant. Carl wavered between believing her and telling her she was lying, but eventually the subject kind of just never came up again. <laughs> One day he's just sitting there, he's like, why am I still with her? Oh yeah, she's pregnant. That was like 12 months ago. What the fuck? <laughs> they argued over custody for two years, then in 1995 decided to give it another go after joining a Mormon church and receiving counseling from them. Still practically freshly divorced, Lisa and Carl got fucking married for the second time, because I guess why not? It worked so well the first time. Yeah. Well, because once you're Mormon, you have to be married, right? 
I, they stopped going to the Mormon church after this. I think the Mormons, like, came around too much. It says in Murder in the Heartland that, like, they would constantly bust in and be like, your house smells like coffee. Are you drinking coffee? And Carl was like, no. Now Lisa was, quote-unquote, pregnant again, this time with twins. They moved to New Mexico to prepare for the birth that Carl, I guess, thought was actually going to happen. Three years after their second marriage, Carl realized that Lisa wasn't cleaning, cooking, or taking care of the children, and definitely lying about her previous two pregnancies. They divorced for good in 1998. Lisa moved to Melvern, Kansas after the divorce with the children to be close to her loving mother, Judy. In 1999, she met her next husband, Kevin Montgomery. Early in their relationship, hoping for a proposal, she told Kevin she was pregnant. Recently divorced and not ready for the responsibility of a child, Kevin gave her the money for an abortion. See, here's the thing. This is actually a pretty sweet scam. College girls, if you're ever low on money, go. Don't, no, don't listen to Rory. I know <laughs> I, what you're already, about to say. They already do that, Rory. Yeah, they just, you know, sleep with a guy, tell him you're pregnant, he gives you 300 bucks. And you're $300 richer. And you're a horrible person for doing that to somebody. She also told Kevin that when she was a teenager, she'd had a baby that was supposedly stillborn, but she discovered later in life that her mother had actually taken the child and given it up for adoption. That is a lucky child. She had realized at this point in her life that any story about a baby would garner her tons of sympathy from anyone she told. Kevin was oblivious to all her lying and married her in 2000. Over the next few years, Lisa got pregnant and had a miscarriage so many times that her friends and family lost track of how many babies she'd lost. She also began telling people that she donated her miscarried children to science, which I assume was to gain sympathy and look important? I'm not really sure. (laughs) In 2002, Lisa began a new career of breeding and showing rat terriers. It took about a year, but by 2003, she had three dogs and was very active on message boards online. She was also working three jobs and in a full-on custody battle with Judy over the custody of her brother's children, who likely were taken from his custody because of an anonymous report filed by Lisa. When she found that wasn't going the way she wanted, she was once again pregnant, hoping to gain sympathy from the judge overhearing the custody battle. It didn't work, and custody was awarded to Judy. Real quick, how does she ever, like, she's just always going with this pregnancy thing, but, like, she's never fucking pregnant. Pregnant women are visibly pregnant at, you know, after a couple of months, a few months. Yeah, she would usually go to around six months and then have a quote-unquote miscarriage. So at that point, technically, if you're thin enough, or I guess if you're heavy enough, she was kind of in the middle, It you wouldn't have to really be showing some women don't know they're pregnant the whole time. You don't have to get that huge belly. If you already have that huge belly. Yeah. So a year later, Lisa was once again pregnant. When she ran into her sister in a local cafe and told her the news, her sister decided she'd had enough and wanted to set the record straight. She went to the Montgomery home and told Kevin that there was absolutely no way Lisa could be pregnant. Kevin didn't believe her, and Lisa tried filing a lawsuit against her sister and mother preventing them from any contact with the children ever again. When that didn't work, she filed another lawsuit to try and force them to stop telling people that she was faking her pregnancies. It's America. You can sue anyone for anything. 
While all this was going on, Lisa was still active on rat terrier message boards and attending dog shows. It was on one of the message boards she met a young girl named Bobby Jo Stinnett. They chatted about their pregnancies, sharing the joys of carrying a child, and their love of rat terriers. On April 3, 2004, they talked about a dog show both would be attending and how excited they were to meet each other. Later that month, they met and chatted, telling their friends at the dog show that they were both expecting. What kind of mental issues is she dealing with? Um, a lot. <laughs> all of them? Yeah, there's something called, um, I can't think of the word, pseudocysis, something like that, which is like a mental disorder where you believe you're pregnant. And the thing with pregnancy is you can actually like truly believe that you're pregnant so much that your body mimics a pregnancy. So you'll get a big distended belly, you'll stop getting your period, you'll get morning sickness. It's called a hysterical pregnancy. Hyster- it's funny? No. No. Hysterical meaning just like all in your head? Yeah. So it's possible that, I mean, she did get a distended belly, like people would feel her stomach and think she was pregnant, but I don't know if she ever actually truly believed she was. I don't think she did. Well, can we just give uh, Kevin the award for most gullible, naive Oh, it gets worse. He didn't know that she had the tubal ligation, so keep that in mind. He thought she was actually pregnant. Bobby Joe was born and raised in the very small town of Skidmore, Missouri. In 2004, the population was 437, but it's dropped to around 260 today. The town has a super interesting history and is mostly known for the infamous murder of Ken McElroy, who was murdered in front of 60 people, but there were quote-unquote no witnesses to the crime. Because he owned the town or he owned everybody or what? He was a huge piece of shit and the police wouldn't do anything about it, and so... They, people took it among, uh, took it onto their own shoulders to... Shoot rid him. the world of this man, and since nobody liked him, they were just like, oh, yeah, Bob Dickerson shot that guy, but no one's going to tell. Yeah, nice. I think there was multiple people in the group. They all kind of crowded around his truck and just started shooting, and then the police came out, and they were like, who saw what happened? They were like, I, I wasn't anywhere near He here. shot himself on accident? Yeah, so there was never any conviction. Bobby Joe grew up in the same neighborhood as Zeb Stinnett, and the two began a relationship in high school. Zeb worked for the local Kawasaki plant, while Bobby Joe worked for a pet store for a brief time before she began breeding rat terriers in 2002. On April 26, 2003, Bobby Joe and Zeb married and moved into their first home together. Bobby Joe continued breeding and showing her beloved rat terriers with Zeb's support. Sometime around March 2004, they learned that they were expecting their first child, a daughter they planned to name Victoria Jo Stennett, who was due January 19, 2005. Lisa posted on the Rat Terrier message board in October, claiming that she had lost one of the twins she was carrying, gaining the sympathy she craved so desperately. In November, Lisa purchased a home birth kit, preparing for the arrival of her baby. On November 17th, she sat and watched videos of doctors performing C-sections for hours. In December, she set her plan in motion. Creating a new user by the name of Darlene Fisher, Lisa contacted one of Bobby Joe's friends looking for recommendations for who to buy a puppy from. Bobby Joe had a new litter that had just become available for sale, so the friend recommended Darlene to contact her. She and Bobby Joe set up a day, December 16th, for Darlene to come and meet the puppies at her home. When that day arrived, Lisa, a.k.a. Darlene, drove to a Walmart in Maryville, around half an hour away from Bobby Joe's home. 
While she was browsing the CDs, a woman was shopping nearby with an infant who began to cry. Trying but failing to not seem weird as fuck, Lisa told the woman she'd hold the baby while she shopped. Like she just walked up to her and was like, hey, I see you got a crying baby there. I'm really good at calming babies. Let me do it for you. I think she literally just said something along the lines of, I'll hold the baby if she's not scared of me. And the woman was like, <laughs> She is. She's no. frightened of you. Yeah, that's why she's crying, because you're near near me. That's one of those things, like, you know, I've tried that multiple times, and everyone's like, sir, we have to ask you to get out of the hospital right now. <laughs> Something in the woman's gut told her to not let Lisa anywhere near her baby, and she politely but quickly left the area. I don't know for sure what her plan was, but it almost seems like this was Lisa's last-ditch effort to not go through with what she was headed to Skidmore to do. And if if she had, if the lady had given her the kid and she had, you know, hypothetically run away with it, I guess they probably would have found it eventually. Yeah, but what's she going to do with it? Show up to her husband, Kevin, like, look what I just did. No, she would say, I had my baby. Yeah, three months ago. Infant. It's not like a. I don't think baby. Kevin would know, honestly. No. I think Kevin is just. Just sees it. Has absolutely nothing upstairs. And he's like, oh, yeah, that looks like a baby. Yeah, cool. Did you put down his piddle pad? <laughs> yeah. I don't think he had any idea of anything, really. Are all babies born with teeth like that? Lisa left the Walmart and headed to Bobby Joe's home, slipping back into our Darlene Fisher alias. Because Bobby Joe had met Lisa back in April, there's no way to know if she recognized her as Lisa when she showed up and knocked on the door. Because there was no sign of forced entry, it's likely that Bobby Joe either didn't remember Lisa's face or believe that Darlene just had an uncanny resemblance to her. Once inside, Bobby Joe took her to the spare bedroom where she kept the puppies. At one point, she turned her back to Lisa, who then threw a rope around Bobby Joe's neck and pulled it tight. The fight began immediately. Bobby Joe tried kicking Lisa, and the two struggled throughout the room. After only a minute or two, Bobby Joe went limp, and Lisa lowered her body to the floor. Grabbing a kitchen paring knife she had brought with her, Lisa pulled up Bobby Joe's blouse and exposed her eight-month pregnant stomach. Using the technique she'd learned from watching C-section videos online, Lisa began to cut through the skin to remove Bobby Joe's baby. What she didn't expect, though, was that Bobby Joe was still alive, just unconscious from the brief strangulation. As soon as Lisa made the first incision, Bobby Joe woke up and began to fight. Throwing Lisa off of her, Bobby Joe struggled to her feet and tried to grab the knife from her hands. The two fought for a minute or two before Lisa was able to get the rope back around Bobby Joe's neck who reached back and ripped Lisa's hair from her head. Bobby Joe lost consciousness again, but this time Lisa continued to hold the rope tight until she was sure she was dead. When she was confident, she resumed cutting the baby from, jo- from Bobby Joe's stomach, eventually reaching her uterus and slicing it open. Lisa reached in, removed the baby, cut the umbilical cord, and ran to her car. Somehow, little Victoria Joe was unharmed besides one small scratch on her forehead. Lisa raced down the highway until she reached a Long John Silver's parking lot in Topeka, Kansas, where she cleaned the infant with baby wipes and cleared out the nose and throat. Cleaning the blood off of herself, Lisa calmed her nerves and began to prepare the story she would tell her husband and family. So weird. She's just a crazy fucking thing to do. 
She's a really shitty person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But pretty good at delivering babies. Apparently. I guess, yeah. I guess I mean, you can the say patient that. died, so, I mean, it was 50-50 on that one, but... Back in Skidmore, Bobby Joe lay dead in a pool of blood on her bedroom floor. One of the saddest parts of the story is that her neighbor planned on stopping by that day to see how she was doing. When he was going to head over to the house, he noticed a dirty red sedan sitting in Bobby Joe's driveway and didn't want to interrupt while she had company, but decided at the end of the street that he should stop and check in with Bobby Joe even though she had someone over. He briefly considered turning around and then changed his mind, deciding he would actually wait until he got back from running his errands. Had he listened to his gut, he likely would have interrupted Lisa right in the middle of the murder. Was this a, like a first-hand account in the book from him? Maybe. I don't know for sure. It's hard to tell because people, a lot of times authors will quote things that are not actual quotes from people, but they interview them and then kind of compile what they thought might have been said in that situation. But I'm pretty sure he was interviewed and said this. Okay, so basically this paraphrased of actual interview probably. Yeah. Unfortunately, he never got the chance to go check on her. Instead, Bobby Joe's mother, Becky, headed over to the home after getting off work. She'd spoken to Bobby Joe right before Lisa had arrived and asked for a ride home from work. When Bobby Joe never showed up, she walked the few blocks over to see what was going on. When she arrived at the house, she noticed the door was slightly ajar, which immediately concerned her. She walked inside and called for Bobby Joe, checking the rooms until she walked into the doorway of the spare bedroom. There, she found her daughter dead on the floor, covered in blood, and still holding large chunks of blonde hair in her hands. She called 911, telling the dispatcher that it looked like her daughter's stomach had exploded. The dispatcher walked her through CPR while she waited for police and EMS to arrive. Unfortunately, there was no bringing Bobby Joe back. When Skidmore Sheriff Ben Espy took over CPR, Becky kept repeating that Bobby Joe was eight months pregnant. They kept looking at her flat stomach and thinking that there was no way she was carrying a child until they had the horrible realization of what had happened. It's got to be about the shittiest scene, shittiest realization. You're like, damn, there's a there's a baby missing here. Yeah, and the whole room basically was covered in bloody footprints from Bobby Joe bleeding and fighting with Lisa. Because she had regained consciousness, and they realized that, like, looking around the room, that she maybe could have gotten her way out of it if Lisa had maybe been weaker or something. Sheriff SP knew that they had to act fast. One of his first calls was to put out an Amber Alert for the missing infant, but there was a problem. The person taking the report needed hair color, eye color, weight, and size of the victim, all things that no one but Lisa Montgomery knew about the baby. They told him without some physical description, they couldn't put out any Amber Alert. Sheriff Espy didn't like that answer and got to work contacting his friend, U.S. Representative Sam Graves. Using his political power, they were able to get out an Amber Alert that would eventually solve the case. Back at the home, investigators were looking for any evidence they could find. They hit the jackpot when they started looking through Bobby Joe's computer history and found the chat logs between her and Darlene Fisher. By the early morning hours of December 17th, the FBI and other larger police departments from surrounding cities were on the case. They searched far and wide for a Darlene Fisher, but found nothing. 
They chased down dirty red sedans, hoping one of them might have a blonde woman and an infant inside. They continued searching through Bobby Joe's computer when the FBI office got a call from a member of the Rat Terrier board Bobby Joe and Lisa frequented. She said that she had heard about the murder and remembered seeing Bobby Joe talking to Darlene on the board. She was able to give the FBI agents the IP address used by Darlene for the conversation. They contacted the company who hosted the IP address and were able to pinpoint it to Topeka, Kansas, and uncover the actual landline phone number used for the dial-up internet connection. With that, they had their address, a home belonging to Lisa and Kevin Montgomery in Melbourne, Kansas. Well, I guess in the 90s, not everybody knew near as much stuff about tracing IPs and stuff, but these days that'd be like the number one way to get caught up, I would think. Yeah, this is also 2004, so people that get on the internet generally had a little better idea of what they were actually doing. Not Lisa. Yeah, people now just literally connect to the internet and don't know how it happens. They're just like, this is magic. <laughs> That's because you don't have to listen to... That horrible dial-up connection sound. Yeah. While all this was going on, Lisa was busy getting her newborn baby home. After she'd left Bobby Joe's house and ended up in the Long John Silver's parking lot in Topeka, she called her husband Kevin. She told him that she'd gone into town to run some errands and that her water broke. She rushed to the women's center where she gave birth to their daughter Abigail. And I don't know how, but Kevin wasn't a single bit suspicious of his wife calling him from a Long John Silver's parking lot and saying that she'd just given birth and then been released from the hospital in the last few hours. Well, any time she had a miscarriage, she always asked for Long John Silver's afterwards. So he, like, he just assumed, oh, she just wanted hush puppies. Poor Kevin. So naive. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I can't even feel bad for him. He's such a dunce. I don't know. Maybe he's confused about what a woman's center is and thought the Long John Silvers. He loaded Lisa's kids up and they headed to the city to pick her up from the Long John Silvers parking lot where she was just sitting there waiting when they arrived. Honey, did you get my six piece? Kevin drove her home while the kids drove her dirty red Corolla behind them, hopefully discussing why they just picked their postpartum mother up from a fucking Long John Silvers parking lot and not the hospital. I'm really caught up on it being a Long John Silver's parking lot. That's just the weirdest fucking thing to believe that your wife just popped a baby out and then drove to a parking lot and called you to pick her up. Like, hey, turns out they split me open like a cantaloupe and I can't drive. The kids are just sitting there like, it looks like she actually gave birth here. Yeah. I'm I like... <laughs> There's literally blood all over the fucking inside of this car. And, like, why, Long John, why would you not just wait in the parking lot of the women's center where you supposedly just had your baby? Because Jordan Hart was waiting outside. Long John fucking Silvers. It just makes no sense to me. I'm just so caught up on this, and I keep thinking about it. Because <laughs> it makes me so mad that Kevin just had no questions. He was like, that's a baby. It seems legit. It literally just makes me want breaded shrimp and hush puppies. And that's probably what Kevin was thinking, too. He's like, sweet, she's at Long John Silver's. That's what we'll have for dinner. No, he probably was, like, heading over there and, like, this is really weird. This is really, really weird. And then there's your wife with a baby, and you're like, yeah, yeah, less weird, I guess. Either way, they all got home and were happy as can be, and Lisa hopped on the computer to announce the birth of her daughter. And then later, I didn't put this in here, but later, 
when they told Judy that Lisa had just had a baby, Lisa said, yeah, right. She either bought it or stole it. Oh, Judy said that? Yeah, her mom said that because she knew about the tubal ligation and was like, yep, that didn't happen. That's not her baby. She was like the first one to figure out that my kid stole a child, basically. The celebration didn't last long as the next day around 2.30 p.m., FBI and police discreetly surrounded the home and closed in. Only two investigators approached the house, where Kevin let them inside. Lisa was sitting on the couch, cradling the baby, and handed her over when they asked to see her. As soon as the investigator had the baby in his arms, he ran out of the house and she was rushed to a hospital. Kevin was questioned, but had no idea what was going on. Lisa at first tried saying it was her baby, but gave up the act not long later. She was taken into custody along with Kevin, who was later released. In the trunk of Lisa's car, they found the bloody rope used to strangle Bobby Joe and the knife used for the C-section. After a few days in the hospital, it was determined that Victoria Jo Stinnett was healthy and she was returned to her father. She turned 16 on December 16, 2020. Lisa was placed and kept on suicide watch in the jail. Before her trial, she found God as most do, but still refused to admit what she had done. It's weird that God's just hiding in jail all the time. He's always there, and, and he just, just pops out, out at the most unexpected time yeah. when well, you need him. Well, they say that God hides in the darkest places. Oh, I sure hope not. <laughs> I don't think they say that. Because she had taken Victoria Joe across state lines into Kansas, she was charged under the Federal Kidnapping Act with kidnapping resulting in death. She was, of course, found guilty and was sentenced to death in 2007. Since then, appeals lawyers have been working tirelessly to overturn her sentence. According to a New York Times article, Lisa's appellate team uncovered that her stepfather, Dick, would bring friends over to the home to rape Lisa. They also discovered that Judy would prostitute Lisa to help pay for bills and constantly abused her. Lisa has also apparently been diagnosed with, quote, bipolar disorder, temporal lobe epilepsy, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, dissociative disorder, psychosis, traumatic brain injury, and most likely fetal alcohol syndrome. Apparently none of this was brought up during trial because the Montgomery family refused to talk to the defense lawyer because he abandoned the defense that Lisa's brother was the one who murdered Bobby Joe. So they were trying to push their own idea of what would get her off, I guess? Yeah, they tried to say that he was there at Bobby Joe's house with Lisa and he was the one that was the murderer. And Lisa just, like, blacked out and woke up with a baby in her arms. But he had an alibi. Like, there's no way he could have been there. <laughs> Can you and imagine? And so, oh, sorry. go ahead. No, what? Um, a week before the trial started, they had to completely scrap that because he realized he had an alibi. And they went with the, the MI defense, basically. How did your brother feel about his whole family trying to turn on him? Probably not good. I would be well, very they, mad. They didn't turn on him. They didn't want to talk to the defense, the, the attorney after. Uh, because he abandoned that defense. They because wanted he the wouldn't attorney. use that defense anymore. Can you imagine if Eva murdered somebody and then your mom and brother were like, oh, no, it was Rory. Like, we totally know what happened. <laughs> like, Rory's the murderer of the family. Yeah, it wasn't be because the defense lawyer tried to use that defense. It's because he wouldn't use that defense. So they were just mad that he wouldn't be like a Harder? ethical lawyer? 
Basically. I mean, he was originally going to go for it, and then he realized it would not stand up in trial, and so he had to ditch it. That was, like, the whole defense that they originally planned for, like, the, I think, two years it took for her trial to begin. He originally wanted to plead insanity, and then she wanted to plead not guilty, so they ditched that. And then they were like, oh, we'll blame it on someone else. There was no way she fully admitted to doing it when she got arrested, so there's no way she wouldn't be found guilty. All right, okay. So he just, he, at that point, they were like, this isn't going to work. Yeah, okay. a week before the trial started. Despite the new evidence that Lisa was mentally ill at the time of the murder, all of her appeals have been denied, and she is still facing the death penalty. Her original execution date of December 8, 2020, was delayed because her lawyers contracted COVID. It was then rescheduled for January 12, 2021, but that date was appealed. Lawyers were hoping that they could push her execution date past January 20th when Joe Biden is inaugurated because he is anti-capital punishment and would likely grant clemency. Instead, Lisa is likely to become the third federal execution of five intended to be carried out under lame duck President Donald Trump, who is rushing to execute as many federal inmates as possible before the presidential transition. So far, he has overseen the execution of 10 federal inmates since July, but these five are attracting so much attention because it's almost unheard of to hold executions during the lame duck period, the last time it occurred being in 1889. It's also noteworthy that only three federal inmates have been executed, all by George W. Bush, since federal capital punishment was reinstated in 1988. Unfortunately for Lisa, her odds of clemency are extremely low. Now, do you say unfortunately because she is technically mentally ill? I mean, it's unfortunate for her because she's going to she's die. Gonna die. I, I don't know where I stand on this because it seems odd to me that there was, I want to say four forensic psychiatrists and one neurophysicist that actually examined her before her original trial and not maybe half of the stuff that she's diagnosed with now came up. They said she had depression, borderline, and then the neuro doctor said that she had brain abnormalities that could have caused her to not be able to control her aggression. But the judge threw all of that out saying that it was like junk science, basically. He couldn't prove that she actually had any issues when other people examine the MRIs. So I don't know. I'm really on the fence about it. But it's hard because the whole time through, I'm wanting to be like, fuck this bitch. But then it's like, well, maybe she's real fucked up in the head. The thing that kind of sways me, and it's just because I'm biased, but um, for the prosecution in her original trial, one of the forensic psychiatrists was Park Dietz, who we talked about with Andrea Yates, who was the guy that tried to say that she watched a CSI episode or whatever and like plan the murder based on that when she was truly like mentally ill so plus that csi episode didn't come out till later right it never came out it never happened he totally made it up and like fully admitted to it so i just that's just like a personal thing with me though because i just really don't like him park deets park deets i was literally reading the book and it said the prosecution hired Forensic psychiatrist Park Dietz, and I literally out loud went, oh, no, because <laughs> I dislike him so much because I don't I don't think he's 
a legitimate doctor. I think he's in it for the money. And it's odd to me that he usually only works for the prosecution. Interesting. So, but is that going to do it for us? Do you think so? This woman probably stands zero chance of surviving. Pretty much, unless they can somehow. It was just today that they appealed the decision that her execution date on January 12th was unconstitutional. So, unless she somehow gets an 11th hour, I think, yeah, I think she's going to die on January 12th. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it on this one. Yeah. We'll let you know. Yeah. We'll, we'll update you once uh, she either dies or doesn't. But if she makes it to January 20th, she's probably good for at least four years. Yeah. it's. It, I mean, it's kind of sad if you think about it, because if she really is suffering from all of these mental illnesses, and it's only eight days that she had to wait before she wouldn't have been executed, that's just kind of fucked up. All right, guys. Well, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F O U R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast, on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast, on Twitter at fourcornerscast, and at fourcornerscrimecast.tumblr.com. And don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. And check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. You can head over there for a full episode list or to send us any ideas for episodes you guys might want to hear. Or just to get your free sticker from our merch store by entering the code BINGOBANGO at checkout. Do that and we will ship it out to you 100% for free. Don't be a dick. Yeah, if your wife calls you from Long John Silver, she did not just have the baby. Yeah, babies get picked up from hospitals. Yeah. Talk to you next week, guys. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers! You shook your head before you said it. For like 10 you were like, seconds. I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't say this. And then you just said it. <laughs>